I have been thinking quite a bit this past week about partnerships. Partnerships, something that we don't often think about, but I'm just thinking in the last half hour of this worship service, we've had the partnership of musicians who partnered together to lead us in worship, and Mike Beavers and Evelyn back there in the sound booth in AV, making sure that all of those things work. Uh, The partnership of leaders in our church like Phyllis bringing to our attention the International Day of Prayer concerns. I think about the partnerships that are a, a routine, perhaps often overlooked part of our lives. Yesterday, speaking of the Beavers, Mike and Cindy coordinated a, a work day. Half a dozen people or so got an awful lot of work done. A dozen. Sweet. Uh, while they were working here at church to, to winterize the place and take care of the, the plants at the end of the season, there was a group of people that met over at the Rise Again Outreach uh, uh, warehouse and loaded up a truck with clothing and took it over to the Immaculate Heart of Mary Church and distributed. I heard Bob and Betty telling stories the, this morning about the people that were receiving clothes, the partnership between those who need clothes and those who have surplus clothes and those who are willing to connect the two, a, a beautiful partnership. Thanks, thanks for all of you that were involved in those experiences yesterday. I think about the, the partnership of marriages in this congregation and around the world. I think about uh, partnerships that we hear about in the news. Often it's the negative part of partnerships, you know, corporate mergers and all of that. There was good news this week. After four decades, ABBA has gotten back together and released an album. What a beautiful partnership that is, yes. Partnerships can be tenuous, though. Maybe they don't always work as well as we had hoped. I got thinking about the most important partnership, and that's the partnership that exists between God and his people. Do you, do you use the word partnership to apply to that relationship? Do you see yourself as a partner of God? That That's really God's, I, I would suggest, God's, First intention is that we, the human race, we especially his followers, his believers, would be in partnership with him. You see this in in Genesis chapter 1, the creation of the human race designed to be the image of God reflecting his glory into the world. Think about the covenant with Noah, the covenant with Abraham, the covenant with David, all of them, partnerships designed to rule and subdue and bring to life the things that God wants to happen, primarily his kingdom. You you think about the, the covenant with Abraham that the Israelites were blessed by God in order to be a blessing to other people. So there's this partnership that God initiates with his chosen people. The recipients of that is that choosing are to be the rest of the world. Blessed to be a blessing. And of course, as you read through the Old Testament, you realize that these partnerships don't often work out the way God intended them to work, do they? 
it's a cycle of disappointments if you're looking at it from God's perspective or the perspective of the prophets who kept calling God's people back to a healthy, productive, righteous partnership with him. On into the New Testament, Jesus and his disciples designed to be a partnership. He calls these ordinary people, normal people just like you and me, and he calls them to be his disciples first and then later sending them as his apostles You think of the story of Jesus sending the 72, or you think especially of that story of the, uh, while Jesus was up on the Mount of Transfiguration with his three closest followers, the rest of them were uh, were down with uh, the ordinary people, and they had been asked to perform a miracle, which they were unsuccessful at. Why didn't this work for us, Jesus, in the teaching moment? It's obvious when you look at this partnership between God and the human race that we all need more equipping for this partnership. We could all stand with a little bit more inspiration, a little bit more training, a little bit of on-the-job training for the mission to which God has called us. God's equipping begins with his amazing love. God's equipping us for ministry begins with his amazing love. I think of John 3.16, quote it with me in whatever version you want. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The partnership that we have with God begins with His amazing love, His equipping love. Love produces in us eternal life, salvation, not condemnation, not perishing because of our sin, but God's love in us produces eternal life. And I know oftentimes we think of eternal life as a, as a time. A life that will go on forever. And yes, that is true. But in this case, I suspect that the emphasis on eternal life is not so much on the time as it is on the quality of that life. What is eternal life? Eternal life is the quality of life that God has and that God gives to us as we are saved. So we're not to live a life of death and destruction. We're to live a life of eternal qualities like righteousness and love. And that's to go on here and now, not just after we die and spend the rest of eternity with God, but this eternal life, this salvation, this love is meant to be lived right now, here and now in our relationships. This is the love that sets the stage for all of the other mission that God calls us to partner with him. We are to be living examples, living witnesses of eternal life. How does that make you feel about yourself? Don't do it so obviously, but you know, you can pat yourself on the back. God has partnered with us that we might be 
living witnesses of eternal life, living witnesses of divine love, living witnesses of the mercy of God that he wants to pour out in the lives of the people that are all around us every day of our lives. So this salvation, this sanctifying work, this equipping love of God enables us to fulfill the great commandment. Remember what the greatest commandment is? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. God's work, his partnering work with us that sets us free from sin and fills us with his eternal life, his kingdom life, is designed so that we would be able to fulfill that commandment. We would be successful in loving God, but also in loving our neighbor. That's the kind of equipping that God does. The gospel of God's love, the gospel, the good news of Jesus becoming God, becoming a human being, the incarnation, provides the foundation for this missional partnership that God has always desired to have with us. It starts with his love expressed in the person of Jesus Christ. But if we want to know what that looks like more completely, we turn to Acts chapter 1. So let's, let's look there together. Acts chapter 1, I would suggest to you this morning, the first nine verses, gives us a road map from love and purity to mission. How do we get from God's love expressed to us in Jesus Christ to the mission of being God's people, spreading God's love to everyone else that we come into contact with? How do we do that? I would suggest that we can find the the road map here in Acts chapter 1. Let me read the first nine verses for us. Luke writes, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But... You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Just look at a few of these verses for a few moments here. In verse 1, it said that 
In his former book, he had told all about what Jesus began to do and teach. I think that word began is there for a reason. The implication is that the book of Acts is the continuation of what Jesus began and that Luke recorded in his gospel. It's what Jesus continued to do through the Holy Spirit and through his disciples and his apostles, his church. In other words, we are left here to finish what Jesus began. What is your purpose in life? To finish what Jesus began. Yeah, let's all say wow. (laughs) To finish what Jesus began. And the first verses of Acts, which connect the story of Jesus, tells us that our mission is to partner with God, to continue to do the work that Jesus had done. We are the body of Christ, and that's one of the many names that we call it. We are the body of Christ in the sense that we are the embodiment of the ascended Jesus. We collectively are the visible embodiment of the ascended Jesus. Called to do the very same things that Jesus had begun to do. Equipped to do the very things that Jesus had begun to do. In verse 5, Jesus tells them that they would be baptized by the Holy Spirit. You've been baptized by water. Next, you're going to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. I I was reminded, thinking about this, of of something that Jesus had said recorded in John chapter 16. At the, the Last Supper, Jesus with his disciples, he says to them, But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. That couldn't have sounded good, right? Jesus, on the verge of being arrested and and crucified, says, It is for your good that I am going away. Why? He says, Unless I go away, the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. To be baptized with the Holy Spirit is to be filled with the Spirit of Jesus. Jesus is no longer here physically, but the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus now poured into our lives, poured over our lives. All of the power of Jesus through the Holy Spirit poured into my life and your life. And the Holy Spirit is the continuation of what Jesus had begun to do, poured into us. Verse 8, a couple things of note here. He says that you will have power to be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit that purifies our sinful human nature so that we can become the embodiment of God's love also empowers us for the mission of being his witnesses. And think for a moment about some of the things that the Holy Spirit does to empower us. 
There's the power of spiritual giftedness. Do you know what you're good at? And I know there's this list of spiritual gifts that we find in the Bible, but I suggest to you that the the spiritual gifts that God has given us are, are far wider, far broader than just the ones that are listed in Scripture. And you might disagree with that. We can have our debate later. But God gives us... Special gifts, the, the abilities that we have, the things that come naturally and easy to us that are hard for other people. Because God wants us to work together, each contributing our own strengths, our own gifts, to accomplish his kingdom building mission. Thank you, Jesus, that the rest of you are not like me. Did I get an amen, right? Yeah. And thank Jesus that I'm not like you. But together, we have the power of the Holy Spirit equipping us to do amazing things. Next is this, I wasn't quite sure what to call this, but it's the spiritual formation that's going on in our lives as we pray, as we study Scripture, as we work together as the body of Christ. It's the maturity that we gain as we live life under the influence of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's the wisdom that we have, this amazing truth that we can have the power of the mind of Christ filling us. When you look back over the course of your life, can you recognize that early on in your life, and especially before you knew Christ as your Savior, that you had a different mind than the mind that you have now, right? You think differently now because you are saved by God, because you are filled with His Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. We have the mind of Christ in us, forming and shaping us, filling us with his wisdom, his maturity. Another equipping power that we have are words of truth and wisdom. You remember that passage in Luke's gospel, chapter 21, Jesus says, I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. I will give you words and wisdom. When we find ourselves in conversations or arguments or debates, or we find people asking us, why are you doing the things you're doing? Why do you live the way you do? Why do you act the way you do? Jesus says, I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You know what it's like to lose an argument, don't you? <laughs> you know what it's like to be talking to somebody that just overwhelms you with their, their verbal bombardment. Well, every once in a while, haven't you experienced the fact that Jesus gives you some words that still the mouth of the person that you're talking to? That Jesus gives you a, something to say that just brings silence and people say, Nothing. How do I respond to the grace of God that I just heard? The wisdom of God that I just heard? What an extraordinary equipping power that God gives us. Then there's God's call to various ministry offices. In Ephesians, Paul says there are apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, and shepherds. But I think there are also 
IT people and garbage men and fill in the blank. God calls us to ministry. What an extraordinary, equipping, empowering thing for you to know that God has called you to serve in the capacity that you're serving. God called me to be a teacher. God called me to be a nurse. God called me to be a doctor. God called me to be a financial analyst. God called me to be an electrician. Fill in the blank. God calls us and gives us gifts and empowers us to do things to the glory of God in all of these different ways. And then Jesus says, you will do even greater things than I have done. Just let that settle in for a moment. Greater things than Jesus? No pressure, yeah, right? (laughs) Great, I mean, that might mean that we're going to do greater things like raise 12 people from the dead. Or maybe it means that together, over the course of years, the body of Christ is going to accomplish infinitely more than Jesus did in three years. But either way... What an extraordinary, empowering promise that we would be able to do even greater things than Jesus. And then, most importantly, part of the equipping that we have in the Holy Spirit is the power to love. I mean, it's, it's somewhat satisfying to overwhelm people with your, your logic and your argument and, and all of those kind of things. But how much more beautiful is it to overwhelm people with the love of God? Paul sums this up for me, one of my favorite verses of all time in Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. And this is my prayer, Paul says, this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul prays that our love would abound. Verse 8 also refers to these concentric circles of mission. The life of the Jesus and his apostles had pretty much been contained in Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. But he says, now you're going to be my witnesses in ever-increasing realms, ever-increasing concentric circles of mission. This verse provides an index, as it were, for the book of Acts. First, he says that you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. You can read about that ministry in chapters 1 through 7 of Acts. Then in chapters 8 through 11, he says you're going to be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria. And finally, in chapters 11 through 28, you're going to be my witnesses to the very end of the earth. The Holy Spirit equipping us to be his missionaries every place and at all times. And then there's this verse 9 where Jesus is taken up and hidden from them in a cloud. I stopped and I thought about how the the word cloud is used in Scripture. Clouds are more than just vaporized water. 
there was a pillar of cloud and fire that led the Israelites for 40 years in the wilderness. When Moses was called to the top of Mount Sinai, the top of the mountain was enclosed in a cloud. When the tabernacle and later the temple were dedicated, the temple was the tabernacle and temple temple was filled with a cloud. God is often referred to as being in that cloud. God is that cloud. Just do a quick search this afternoon when you're having a hard time taking your Sunday afternoon nap. Do a quick search for how cloud is used throughout Scripture. More often than not, cloud represents the presence of God. God is in the cloud. He's in the smoke. And what's he doing when he's in the cloud? He's blessing people. He's blessing them with guidance and direction. He's blessing them with forgiveness and mercy and holiness. He's blessing them by giving them a place where they might meet with him. So Jesus is taken up and hidden by a cloud. I would suggest to you this morning that Jesus really wasn't hidden. If those disciples were students of the Bible, as we suspect that they were, they knew their Old Testament, they knew that for Jesus to be taken up in a cloud was Jesus becoming, Jesus being represented as God had been represented in the Old Testament. Jesus is in the cloud. It's not just hiding Jesus. That cloud is an encouragement to them that God is there. Jesus, the Son of God, is there. His presence is with them. His presence is blessing them. I would suggest, you know how it is on a, on a rainy day, a stormy day, you see a, see a rainbow. And you think about that promise that God made to Noah, never again will I destroy the earth by flood. I would suggest that any time you see a cloud in the sky, you think likewise, God is with me. God is blessing me. God is equipping me for the service of ministry. So this passage, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, contains everything we need to know to navigate the missional partnership to which God has called us. It speaks to us about the purity and the love of God. And it speaks to us about the power in the mission of God. And as I have said, purity plus mission equals holiness. I I, I struggled at the beginning of this series trying to figure out what to name it. I would have preferred purity plus power equals holiness. Got that alliteration, right? P and P. But the reason that we have God's power, the reason God empowers us is for mission. We can't ever lose sight of that fact. God purifies us that we might demonstrate the pure love of God to the world in which we live. God empowers us so that we will spend the rest of our lives to be on mission to the people who need to know the sanctifying love and power of God in their own lives. P 
Peter and Paul loved God to death. You ever use that, I love you to death? Or, I know there's a, I love you to the moon and back. I know that's one that's gaining in popularity. And I read the other, I, I love you, I love you to life. That kind of is nice. But, you know, a lot of people say, I just love you to death. Well, Peter and Paul loved God to death. Both of them dying in Rome at the hands of the Roman Empire, persecuted for their faith. They loved God to death. But in another way, they loved God to death because they had died to themselves. They were both entirely consecrated to God. All of their gifts, all of their future, all of their past, all of their potential was dedicated to God. They said, you can have this. You can do whatever you want to do with this, even if it means I'm going to die on a cross someplace. Entirely consecrated to God. And then they were completely sanctified, completely filled with the purity and the power of God. The love of God overshadowed the entire arc of their lives. From Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, which is what Rome would have represented. God was there empowering them, purifying them, blessing them throughout the course of their lives. And the rest of the book of Acts is the fulfillment of the great commission that God had given to them, that Jesus had given to them. I want to return here at the end of this message this morning to that hymn that uh, we sang a bit of last week. Annie Flint's hymn, He Giveth More Grace. But this time I want to focus on just the refrain, just the chorus. God's love has no limits. God's love has no limit. Have you ever said or thought, God doesn't love me. God doesn't seem to be loving me much right now. God couldn't love me because of what... Have you ever thought that? Have you ever said that? Do you know somebody that's said something like that? Well, in this chorus and in this story, we can say that's just not the case. God's love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power, no boundary known unto man. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus he giveth, and giveth, and giveth again. This week as I was thinking about this partnership between Jesus and Peter and Paul, Jesus and his church right down to this day, this extraordinary partnership to which God has called us, this extraordinary partnership which is empowered by God's Holy Spirit, purified by by God's Holy Spirit, I, I found myself asking some questions. Does the love of God overshadow the arc of my life? From the moment I accepted Christ as my Savior to this very day and on into the future, does the love of God overshadow everything that I do? Is every thought, every word, every attitude, every action overshadowed by the love of God in your life? 
just as the apostles had reached the end of their world, Rome, by the end of their life, so God wants to keep expanding the reach of our missional love to the very end of our lives. Perhaps you can recall a period of time in your life where you were really involved in ministry. You had an opportunity, whether it was raising your children to love Jesus or an opportunity at work or in your neighborhood where you you felt like you had a witness. You felt like things were happening, but perhaps that period of time is over. You haven't felt that in a while. Perhaps you're retiring and you're, you're enjoying retirement just altogether too much. Those grandchildren, well, there's a mission to be found in those grandchildren, right? <laughs> Maybe the, the back and forth between here and Florida. There's a mission to be found in Florida. And maybe on the airplane or on the highways between here and there. Here and there. But we don't retire from God's mission. We never retire from the mission that God has given us to be his people, demonstrating his love. So if I haven't reached the end of my life, then I haven't reached the end of my world either. There's more world that God wants us to be involved with. does God need me to love today? Who does God need you to love today? We are the continuation of what Jesus began to do. We are the fruit of Jesus' love. I need to love today? Who do you need to love today? Would you sing this chorus with me? thank you for the purity the purifying work that you have been doing in our lives we are no longer the 
sinners lost and destined for hell. But we are now members of your chosen family. We are sons and daughters of the King of Kings. And Lord, you have been at work in our lives since that day, helping us not only to call ourselves sons and daughters, but to look like Jesus. Thank you for the mercy and love that sets us free from sin. Thank you for the purifying work that you've been doing in our lives so that our actions and our words and our attitudes reflect the glory of Jesus. Lord, we couldn't have done that on our own. You get the praise and the glory and the honor for that work. Lord, we want to continue to be involved in the mission that you've called us to, the mission of being the church of Jesus Christ, being the body of Christ, being the family of God, being the image of Christ in our world. Lord, we thank you for the stories of the apostles, Peter, Paul, and others, who laid down their lives to love other people for you, even those who would kill them their faith. Lord, we ask that you would see the people in our lives afresh. Lord, we pray that you would help them to see help us to see them through your eyes. Lord, we pray that you would continue to use us in your mission no matter how young or how old we are, no matter how tired we might be, Father. Continue to use us to the very end of our lives, to the very end of our world. We trust you, Lord. We love you. We depend upon you. We need your power today, Father. Have your way in us. Love through us, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. And all of God's children say, Amen.